Hills. It's good to be with you again to open up the Word of God. So let's do that at this time. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2, and we will begin in verse 1. We have been going through the book of Colossians, and that has been a joy, but due to this Christmas season, as we reflect on the arrival of King Jesus, I thought it would be great for us to camp out in the Word of God today in Matthew chapter 2. And it is in Matthew chapter 2 that we see one of the earliest historical accounts of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, that wrote these words. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfillment what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. 
Let's pray as we go to the Holy Scriptures this morning. Father God, we thank you that in your inspired divine word, you've left us this account, this account of Jesus. And God, we thank you because Christ is the greatest gift. Jesus is that which is most significant and freely you gave us your son, that we may not perish, but that we may have eternal life. I pray that we see the faithfulness of these wise men, the faithfulness of Joseph and Mary, the faithfulness to serve a role in everything you're doing to exalt Jesus and that we would long to do the same. That we would take heed when we examine the life of Herod. When we see someone who rejected the peace that you offered this world, the gift you offer to us all. And that we would see that the rightful king of our lives is Jesus Christ. And it is only in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I think that there is an application from this text that we should look for in our own lives, and it is this. Avoid cultural Christianity. Now, you may be asking yourself, well, how could that be the application of a text that goes all the way back to when Jesus was so young? Look with me again in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east... To Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Troubled. What we have in our text today, as I said, is an historical account of the earliest days of our Savior. It probably did not occur right after the birth of Jesus. This account probably occurred within a year or two of the birth of Christ. And here we encounter two very different kings. One is King Jesus, the Messiah of God, the Savior of the world. And the other is King Herod, an earthly king, a king whose authority came from the dominating empire of Rome. Herod was not ethnically Jewish, yet he was a practicing follower of Judaism. Herod claimed, and the key word here is claimed, to follow the true faith of God. The Roman government had taken control of this region in the time of Herod. And some of the Jews who had been in charge, the Maccabees, actually had a loose connection to Herod, for Herod had married one of their descendants. But Herod was loyal to the outside empire. And so Rome knew they had an ally in him. They knew if they propped him up with worldly ambition and riches that he would be their puppet. And Rome ensured that they would have control of this region through Herod. Herod left a powerful mark on history. If you were to look at the region before and after Herod, you would see that he built up massive infrastructure from this area. He built up grand palaces, and he created theaters and fortresses. And despite his great ambition to advance the area, when we glance back at history, it is his cruelty that most defines him. It is his brutality that defines his historical reputation. For Herod was quick ruthlessly to destroy anyone who stood in his way. 
It is documented that Herod murdered his own wife, that he killed some of his sons, that he slaughtered anyone who stood in his way of what he wanted more than anything, power, for Herod to be king. And Herod's fake counterfeit faith is evident in his desire to mix the true faith in God with his own worldly ambition. Now, if you asked Herod, do you follow the true faith in God? Herod would say, yes, of course, I follow the faith. Look, I I even helped to renovate the temple. Look how good the temple looks because of me. Of course, I follow the true faith in God. But if we could look at his actions, his heart would be exposed as one who held to a counterfeit faith. Because I want you to notice something in this historical account. Herod was not a hypocrite because he simply lacked the information of what the true God was like. Herod had every opportunity. And Herod had every chance to know the true God if he wanted to. He was in Jerusalem. He was with the people of God. Experts in the word surrounded him. If Herod wanted God, the Lord stood with open arms. And he had every opportunity to authentically know his creator. If he wanted him. But you know what is amazing? God does not simply come to Herod and say, you are a fraud and I'm going to expose you. I'm going to destroy you. That's not what God does to Herod. Rather, God sends Herod and all the people a beautiful message of peace. Look with me again in verse 2. Saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Here is God showing Herod grace. Here is God sending to Herod a message of peace. How would you have responded to this message? Picture this, hearing your whole life promises of this wonderful Savior. Imagine people longing, passionately longing, strongly anticipating the majestic advent of God's anointed one. And then you realize this anticipation is about to morph into realization. This is about to happen. God's Savior is about to arrive. If your faith was genuine, if your faith was real, this would tremendously excite you. But if your faith was fake, if it was merely counterfeit, merely cultural, this news would devastate you. You see, being culturally religious, being a fake follower of Judaism, worked for Herod. It was political and cultural. It was his, to his advantage to follow the Jewish faith. It was the dominant faith of his community. It helped him to fit in. It encouraged Rome to keep him in power because he understood the people, to desire to keep him as a Jewish king because he knew the culture and the society. So Herod probably believed the Bible in some sense. He's searching the scriptures to figure out what these wise men are talking about. 
But now this Bible that formed a foundation for the culture of his society and helped give cohesion and religious uniformity to his area, this Bible he starts to see is not just trivial. It's not just a cultural glue for the region. This Bible is the very word of God and its prophecies are coming true. Now, if Herod valued God, this would be a day of celebration. But Herod only values the things of God when they benefit Herod. And this simple message from these wise men, according to Herod's warped opinion, is not an advantage to him. In fact, the message stands opposed to his intense desire to rule. So, so who are these wise men? These are probably men from the east in areas like Babylon. Throughout the centuries, if you look in the Old Testament, you would see that they were exiled to Babylon. And when the people of God were exiled, they took with them the scriptures. They took with them the Bible. So that's how these men have access to the word of God. And they're connecting the dots. They're figuring out what's happening with this star. And so they have appeared to Herod. And their message is not, Herod, God wants to spoil you. Herod, God wants to exalt you. Their message to Herod is, there is a rightful king for the people of God. And Herod, it is not you. Jesus is the rightful king. And here is the tragedy of this historical event. Herod is not the only one with a fake counterfeit faith. He is surrounded by people who hold a fake counterfeit faith. Look with me again in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. There were many people in Jerusalem troubled. Troubled by the news that God's king had finally come. Shouldn't it have been the opposite? Shouldn't they have been glad? Shouldn't they have been praising God? But they're troubled. And and they have the head knowledge. They know the scriptures. They're able to show Herod how God is moving. But here's the problem. There is no heartfelt love for God with the knowledge they have of the scriptures. Now, some in our culture today would try to claim, this is what head knowledge does. This is what knowledge does. It puffs you up. This is what knowledge does. It makes you theologically curious, but spiritually cold. And the truth is, yes, knowledge can do that to you. You can have an intrigue and fascination with the Word of God and no love for its author. But I urge you not to assume then that head knowledge is always bad. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Head knowledge is needed. Knowledge is needed. Theological curiosity is needed to warm your heart to love God. Because there are others in this story, and they have knowledge too. But their knowledge spurs them on to devotion. And that knowledge belongs to the wise men. These people from afar 
who due to the exile of, of the past have God's scriptures and understand what's happening. And that knowledge doesn't make them puffed up. That knowledge excites them. Knowledge that glorifies God is knowledge that penetrates your heart and makes you excited to glorify and lift up and exalt the Lord. Value the Lord. So knowledge is good and necessary, but it is only beneficial if it causes you to value your Creator. And this joy and devotion that was so evident in these wise men, this joy Herod could see and witness sadly was not contagious to Herod. Instead of embracing and couching in this joy, Herod's fabricated fake faith showed itself. For Herod once again pretended to have a true devotion only to have sinister schemes at hand. Look with me in verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. You see, Herod is scheming to harm the Christ, not to follow him, not to allow God's Messiah to be the rightful king. Herod had a choice. Either he was going to serve King Jesus or he was going to serve King Herod. He was going to serve himself. Isn't that interesting that one of the earliest recordings we have of the historical life of Jesus, someone's making a choice. Who will be king? Jesus or me? Do you know what would be easy to do in this passage of Scripture? It would be easy for us to look at this, shake our heads and think, oh, Herod, what a fool. What missed opportunity. Surrounded by the Word of God and failing to value him. It would be easy to read the text like this. But friend, if we do that to this text, I think we're missing something. I think we partly have this text so that it can be a mirror into our lives. I think we partly have this text so that we can humbly admit, if we are not careful, we are King Herod. We can be just like King Herod. Herod. We have to realize our vulnerability. We have to grasp the danger in our capacity to live like King Herod. So what was the root of Herod's problem? Why did he simply mess up so bad? What is the foundation of his mistake? It's really simple when you get down to it. Herod wanted to be king, not Jesus. That's his whole problem. And I think what we see here is that's the problem in 2020 still today. We are very much like Herod. We like religious stuff. It's fun to socialize and come to church. It's fun to have Christmas parties and sing songs. And like Judaism for Herod in America, even still today, as crazy as the paths have been that our culture has walked down, many people claim to be Christians. So it's easy to be a Christian here. Kind of helps you fit in. Celebrate Easter, celebrate Christmas, bow your head every now and then. It's easy to go through the motions of religion just like Herod did in his time. 
And we like that baby in the manger. He's cute. He's fun. We like religious stuff. But like Herod, you know what cultural Christianity is against? Cultural Christianity is all about the ritual, all about the socialization. But cultural Christianity is not about Jesus being king. That's where cultural Christianity draws the line. You see, there's a difference between cultural Christianity and true Christianity. Just like there was a difference between the fake facade of Herod and his followers and the true followers of God in his day. So we become like Herod when we do the Christian rituals, but we get offended when we hear that Jesus is to reign in our life. Our culture gets angry when they hear, you're not in charge of your life. You were never meant to be the reigning monarch of your life. Jesus gets to have that role. We were not designed to be the kings of our world. We were not designed to be the queens of our world. We were designed to come and know the most significant being of all, the creator. We were designed to know God the Son. We were designed for Jesus to be king. And that is an offensive message to our culture. That is an offensive message to cultural Christianity. Think about the demands of King Jesus. King Jesus, who the entire Bible is about, look at the demands and promises of this book. This book says you are loved more than you could ever fathom. This book says that God the Son would rather die than spend an eternity away from you. You are cared for and loved more than you can fathom. But you know what else this book explains? It doesn't just explain the affection of King Jesus. It explains the expectations of King Jesus. For instance, we read this in Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, beginning in verse 19, we see this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus expects for you, if you are his follower, to tell other people about his good news. And we may think, whoa, Jesus, you want me to talk about this with other people? You want me to bring up topics like heaven and hell? Jesus, that's, that would just be so awkward, Lord, my friends will just think I'm judgmental. So, so Jesus, you ask too much in, in that area of my life. This king commands that we give a portion of our income to the local church we're committed to. And he says, if we don't, we're robbing him and money is mastering us. In Malachi 3.8, it says this. In Malachi 3.8, it says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. Whoa, whoa, King Jesus. You mean you want to be king of my money too? I mean, you own the whole world. I, I, I don't even have a breath in my body without you, and you gave me the ability to make a living. But I've got credit cards, and I've got stuff I want to buy. I'll throw a five in the plate every now and then. But 10% of my money, King Jesus, you ask too much is the mantra of cultural Christianity. King Jesus 
not only invites us to come know him, but he expects our entire life to be poured into a fellowship. The Bible says this in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. In Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, it says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Jesus, I know you want me to be in church, but I'm just so busy. You mean you want to be king of my time too? You want to dictate my time, really? But Sunday is my only day off, and, and I know I should at least join in online at a pandemic, which is totally fine at a pandemic. You can stay just as committed in this unique situation by being online and praying with and connecting with your church that way. But for many people, church is the thing that will take the hit first on their calendar. And fellowship is that which is most vulnerable for them to give up any commitment to. But what does King Jesus say? Be committed. Invest your talent. Invest your time. Invest your treasure into the church I'm building. And cultural Christianity says, not going to do it. But those who are excited about everything God is doing to exalt Jesus will find themselves pouring their lives into the requests of the king. If we look at the demands of King Jesus and turn against them, then we make a mistake. If we turn against the demands of King Jesus to glorify him sacrificially with our time and our talent and our treasure, and we say, no, we're not going to do that, but we follow a cultural Christianity, then we make the mistake of a fabricated faith, and we make the mistake of King Herod. Sometimes we are going to fail. This message is not that we should be perfect. Sometimes it's going to be difficult to follow Jesus. Sometimes we will fall right on our face. I know I've done it many times. Many times I've had to approach the throne of grace and repentance. But the point of these scriptures is that if we have really accepted Jesus into our hearts as King, as Lord and King, then we should long to obey his commands, not because obeying his commands earns favor with him, but because we are so thankful for everything he is for us as king that we long to glorify him in the choices of our lives. And God loves us. He wants this for us. He wants Jesus to be your king, not you yourself to be the king of your life, not you yourself to be the queen of your life, You are designed for Jesus to be the reigning monarch of your life. And the wise men understood this. And Mary and Joseph understood this. And they found joy in this. Joy that the world could never give them. And that joy was refused by King Herod. Because Herod believed life would be better If Herod was king, not Jesus. If Herod controlled his life, not Christ. If Herod reigned, not the Messiah. Yet if he would have just turned from his selfishness, and if he would have seen this beautiful gift that was right before him, then he would have found joy in this life. And he would have found purpose in following the Lord. But the problem with the people of Israel in this time is this. They didn't make this application, and we need to. 
And the application is this. We need to recognize real royalty. Let me show you what I mean by this. Look with me in verse 9. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. The faith of these wise men amazes me traveling hundreds of miles, following this star, trying to discern the scriptures of God. I wonder what they thought it would be like. What did they anticipate that they would encounter as they journeyed day by day? Did they think they would encounter a palace? Did they think they would be greeted by thousands of people who shared their joy, who wanted to encounter the Messiah? What did the wise men think they were about to encounter? And then picture this. They find Jesus, not in a castle, not surrounded by pomp and circumstance, not surrounded by prestige. And what if they see the poverty and simplicity of this king? And what if we read that they go, that's it? Really? This is what we've traveled to? Forget this. Let's, let's go back to that King Herod. Herod had castles and theaters and cities and riches. This kid has nothing. And then disgusted, they went back to Herod. What a tragedy this account would be if that's what we read. But praise God, that is not what we see. Instead, they see Jesus and they burst into joy. Joy that enticed them to give sacrificially rich gifts to Jesus. They didn't come to God like a genie saying, God, make me powerful, make me wealthy. They came to God and said, praise you that we have the opportunity to take our treasure and give it to the king. You see, they were not impressed with worldly things. They were impressed by spiritual truth that the scriptures were being fulfilled before them. So how can we be like these wise men and see real royalty? Well, it means we have to reject the narrative of the world. We have to reject the narrative of Satan. Satan would have loved for these wise men to believe, no, Herod's the great one, go back to him. Herod, that's really what you want, the riches of this world. Do you see the connection here? These wise men could have thought the world Herod controlled was better more satisfying than Jesus, when they saw his poverty, when they witnessed his ordinary position in life, but they didn't fall for that lie. Satan will tell you the world is better than Jesus, just as these wise men could have thought Herod is better than the Christ. Satan will tell you lying is better than truth, keeping your money is better than giving it to God, pride is better than humility, Strength is better than weakness. Immorality is better than marriage. Sin is better than honor. And the enemy will whisper lies. But friend, do not believe that serpent. It is God who longs for our joy. 
And it is God who desires our happiness. And it is God who sent us the royal king in Jesus. But we have to recognize this peace that comes from Christ isn't found in giving your life over to stuff and riches and power. It's found in coming to know the baby born on Christmas Day who grew up among us and gave his life for us. Joy is found when we intentionally follow Jesus as king. And I think for our hearts to get to that point, we must make this final application as well. We must obey the warnings of God. Look with me again in verse 12. In verse 12 it says this, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. The wise men and Joseph face a very real threat. Herod wanted to be king, and he was so committed to this, he would ruthlessly kill anyone who stood in his way. And he murdered children trying to find the Christ. But Herod could not get Joseph and the wise men. Why? Because they believed the warnings of God. And in doing so, avoided the murderous plan of Herod. If you want to be wise like Joseph and these wise men, we have to believe God's warnings as well. God warns that if you live in sin and refuse to repent, there are consequences. Do we believe him? Or do we believe that sin is trivial? You see, above everything, God warns, turn to Jesus. Come know Jesus as king. And everyone who does is reconciled into the family of God. But if we refuse that offer, if we neglect that invitation, then we are just like Herod. If we believe this warning to turn to Jesus, the Bible says we will not perish. The Word of God says that we will have eternal life. Jesus said it like this in John 3. In John 3, 16 through 18, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And the Bible unapologetically packages these together there is a warning that condemnation is coming to this world. But there is an invitation. There is an offer of reconciliation that is only found at coming to know Jesus. Because in the end, we have a choice to make like Herod did. Herod's choice was this. Who will get to be king, Herod or Jesus? He chose Herod. But you have a beautiful choice if you have not made it already this morning. God has come to your life and he has said, 
Who gets to be the reigning monarch of your life? Is it you? Or is it Jesus? And friend, this morning I pray that it is Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for sending Christ into this world to be our King. And I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that has never come to know Jesus Christ as King, that today would be the day of salvation. God, let us see past the enemy. Let us, when the enemy says that, that we should get to be kings, we should get to make every decision, we should be in charge, let us see that our joy is maximized and the love you offer us is experienced when we reject that lie and accept Jesus as king. And I pray that when we reflect upon this Christmas season and we think about it, you did not spare your own son. You gave us your own child that we may be saved, that that would cultivate within our hearts such thanksgiving and gratitude that we would see the beauty of this Christ and that we would be compelled to offer him nothing less than our entire lives, that we would commit our life now for eternity to the exaltation and the glorification of the one true king, Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Let us stand. We will close worshiping the Lord.